I wanted to do a different movie quote. Oh, okay. And it was, it's knuckle puck time. Wait, what's that from? <laughs> Mighty Duck. Mighty Duck, D oh, D2. Okay. Oh, it's D2? Oh shit. It's knuckle puck time. I am not as well versed in D2 as I am in D1. <laughs> then go with your own quote from any movie. You can't spring this on me, Ryan. Is that a quote from a movie? <laughs> does this tie make me look fat? No, no, your face does. <laughs> Welcome to the Bracket <laughs> Podcast. We are your hosts, Knock. Cliff. Lynn. Uh, we're here. It's a cold night. It's 2021. It is. We left 2020 in the dust. Not really, though. We still got a lot of issues we're dealing with up and down, left and right, wherever you sit. We don't care. We're just here, and we're glad that you're with us. We're going to hear some history about the city of New Orleans, and we're excited. We're excited. Uh, but we do want to say that Cliff this week is a bum. <laughs> what? Exactly. You don't have a you don't have a thing. Yeah, I you know. came to the table completely unprepared. Didn't start off twenty twenty one that great. He is providing us with a fire that's doing um, adequately Del at keeping us warm. It really is trying. Um, I think when the wind shifts, that's when people get the nut. I just got a little shift here from the east, right? And it <sighs> got oh. me. Feels really good. Oh, so if you're if you're always downwind, you're just pretty screwed. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. For sure. Glad I sat on this side of the table. Fantastic. <laughs> but we got some great stories for you tonight. Uh, Lynn, you got two? I, I do not. You, oh, you got one. I have one. I thought it was two stories. It uh -huh. ended up being kind of the same story. Okay, well, good. I, yeah. I like Actually, it wasn't even kind of the same story. One, I just couldn't find enough information on. That's a story. Oh, quick. Give me it's one. It's about Christmas. I was taking down the tree today. And I'm just wondering, Lynn, you're a woman. I am. Um, <laughs> why do women like to buy a lot of ornaments that have glitter? Oh, see, I am not an average woman. Okay. Glitter bothers me because then I have to clean glitter up. So, yeah. so unless it's Mardi Gras and I've already had like three drinks, glitter and I aren't friends. Yeah, I mean, it just, it starts at Christmas and then goes through Mardi Gras. Through here. Mardi Gras. Well, yeah. through St. Patrick's Day here, depending on when Mardi Gras is. It was like hands, face, chest, taking all this crap off the tree. I looked like I just got out of visions by the time I was I done. was about to say, that's a really great excuse. Baby, I was just sorting yeah. through the Christmas decorations for you. That's why I I'm covered I bet you a lot glitter. of folks have done that. You know? But it's May. What is fake? Never that too was. early. It's never too early to be organized. Yeah. No, it's crazy. I mean, but that's my that's my Christmas story. It's just too much glitter. But it, it's more commentary than a story. It's rolling in 2021, but unfortunately, there's no parades. Um, so we'll deal with that in modified days one. For sure, for sure. Well, you know what people are doing is decorating their houses like their Mardi Gras floats. Uh, I live adjacent to the fancy city park neighborhood and there are a couple of houses already up and floated and they look really, really good. Lindsay wants to do something. I don't know if we're gonna be that extravagant, but yeah, so. What, what do you, do you throw people compliments? Like, look great today, Sue. <laughs> you know, like they're gonna walk down the street, like, cause you can't throw beads. Can't throw bubbles at them. That's even worse. Why can't you throw beads? COVID? Yeah. Yeah. Well, if you're if they're coming from the packaging and you're wearing gloves, people are gonna do that. There's I know a lot of people who are getting their custom cups and stuff made, they're and gonna it's throw? gonna be they're gonna throw it to passersby wow. on Mardi Gras day. Yeah. You yeah. know what's great? I was riding in a float for the news station I used to work for, and the most I'm not gonna say who did this, but it was the person on this station is the face of the station. He's the investigative face of the station, <laughs> right? This dude was on a float and he threw this bead at a tourist. And the tourist was looking at him when he threw it, but then looked away just oh. as it left his hand. Oh. And this big old fat bead hit this tourist oh. in the face. Yes. This tourist was so mad. He was mad and that, investigative face was just like oh he was looking 
And then he wasn't. A local would have flipped out. Like, did you see me get hit in the face? Right. You see me get hit in the face? Y'all, if you haven't done Mardi Gras before, those beads whip. Yeah, they They will leave marks. They will leave bruises. You need to watch out. There's a reason why... You, it's illegal for you to throw packs of beads from Mardi Gras floats now because they can do some damage. My father-in-law has a plate in the back of his head from a Mardi Gras where he got hit in the head with something. Ooh, Dang. Yeah, he sets off, um, what is it, the metal detectors now? And he had the grandkids convinced for a while that he was a robot. Oh, obviously, he kind of is. is. And really? it was so funny. Security would always play along because it's five-year-old boys and they think their grandpa's a robot now. They're like, beat papa. Right? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, like the, the last two Mardi Gras, I've done the whole hand extension trying to catch a bead mm -hmm. and caught it with the round, boom, right between oh, yeah. the eyes, big cuts. I don't even try to catch beads anymore. I don't need them. I don't want them. I've got too many at my house already. What I need are go cups. Right. That's pretty much, yeah. That's what I'm missing. You know, when you don't need beads until you need them. That's, really? You know, I've, there have never been more true words of Mardi Gras. You don't need beads <laughs> until you need them. Cliff came through last time when I rode in that float. Thank you so much. Yeah, hooked, me, hooked me up with some beads. And wasn't just like, you know, like when your friend says, hey, I got some beads I'm gonna give you. It's like, oh, it's what he caught at the parade. Mm -hmm. No, these were still packaged, light up beads. Oh my God, so they weren't sticky? In, in the gross. Entangled? I mean, Cliff's, yeah. stuff. Cliff, Cliff's a great friend. For so all you of you who've taken down your Christmas lights, just imagine your Christmas lights tangled into that frustrating like Christmas vacation kind of wad now add 12 hours of partying and liquor and bodily fluids on those lights and untangle them yeah that's what it can be like sometimes it's not pleasant which well, is then, perfect to throw at the neighborhood parade party perfect right? unpleasant beats I, what I'm gonna have to do is just bring them in the back and pee on them before I throw them <laughs> You gotta make it authentic. <laughs> it smell like ammonia. Was he cleaning this? <laughs> well, and I really think next year, because we are having Mardi Gras 2022, God willing, um, next year the the throws are supposed to be incredible because there's a huge move towards not just sustainability but like usefulness. Yes. I have ladles and spatulas and stuff from the Bacchus Parade in my kitchen right now, and a lot of people are making things by hand too. That way we don't end up with like 16 tons of plastic toxic beads in the uh, pristine New Orleans sewerage that's true. system. Oh, that's true. So the floats are gonna be like a, like a mobile Williams Sonoma? Yes. Fantastic. Just imagine hey, yeah, if sororities I made. I need this spatula. <laughs> I lost my spatula, can you give me a... <laughs> I'm looking forward to stocking my kitchen with Mardi Gras supplies. All right, but yeah, Mardi Gras right. 2021 has been officially canceled. No, not can it's a religious holiday. You can't cancel uh, it. Okay, I guess, I guess. Yeah. But nobody's coming here. <laughs> oh no, you know people will come here. Uh, you know who's coming here? It's gonna be Texas, Mississippi, Alabama, Florida. Oh, that's true. They that's always true. come here. That's true, we can count on them. That's for sure. Yeah. Meanwhile, all the locals are home. Yes. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Not doing any of that nonsense. Uh, just so everyone is clear, we are outside socially distanced. To, you know, as, oh, with as, the way the wind is kicking, yes. there's there's no germs. Yes. So yeah, none no germs. None germs right now. Uh, so we're being as safe as possible while we're bringing this to you. And who's going to bring it first? It's going to be Lynn. It is going to be Lynn. It's and be uh, Lynn. how did you find this story? Uh, I found this story by clawing through a lot of information over the last few weeks. Um, Algiers was a hard neighborhood to find stories that we felt was appropriate to talk about on a silly, fun, laugh at podcast, because there's a lot of things that happened in Algiers that's less than light and jovial that you could make fun of. Um, but what I did find from the neighborhood of Algiers is that at one point in the mid-1800s, there was a prolific bullfighting ring. Ooh. Yes. We're going to... No bullshit. Uh, oh, lots of bullshit. We're going to be visited by ghosts of brackish podcast episodes past. <gasps> yes. Get out. Yes. Now, if you... Let's start off with where Algiers is, first of all. Because mm. to talk about New Orleans is to talk about the fact that uh, compass points on a needle... Or a needle on compasses don't matter. 
We call a lot of things what we want to call them. Uh, if you look at the city of New Orleans, you know that the Mississippi River is wrapped around in there. But we're called the Crescent City because the river actually bends in a, a half moon around where the French ended up settling. And Algiers is on the side of that crescent. And if you're looking at a map, Algiers appears that it's on the east. New Orleans appears that it's on the west. But we don't care because when you're in standing in the middle of the river, Algiers is on the west and New Orleans is on the east. So when you come to New Orleans, people talk about the West Bank a lot. And that's what we're talking about today is the eastern side of the western edge of it makes sense after three hurricanes is what it does. It just made it makes sense. I think that if we could explain it to anyone, do you know, is it Michigan that's broken up by the lake? Or is it Wisconsin? What's that it's state? Michigan. Right? It it's, looks like the mitt. Yeah. It, it, and then one part is kind of broken off at the top. So imagine if the city of New Orleans has a river running through it, which it does. And then the other side of that is Algiers. So it's just like Michigan kind of being broken off by water. But right on the other side yes. is a little spot of land. Mm -hmm. That is New Orleans. Yes. Yeah. I like how you explain that. So to visualize Algiers, to visualize it, yes, you gotta go across a river if you're in the French Quarter. Yes, Algiers is also where um, ESPN sets up to do their wide shots of the city because you are outside of the French Quarter, looking back at it, and the river gives you this gorgeous open view. So if you've seen any beautiful skyline shots of New Orleans, they're probably and Algiers looking back at the city. So tell me about these bullfighters. All right, so bullfighting in New Orleans in general took place in the early to mid 1800s. It happened at places like the arena at Algiers or maybe at hotels, coffee houses, public squares and gathering places. So really it was kind of all over the city for a, uh, a while. The New Orleans bullfights were internationally known and remained infamous long after the arena at Algiers was shuttered. Uh, despite the kind of overall American disdain for the Spanish style bullfighting that happened in, to, in New Orleans, um, national and international newspapers would report on the fights. The famous American folklorist Davy Crockett wrote of his visit to Algiers in the arena in the mid 1800s. And even into the 1950s, bubblegum cards would feature illustrations of the New Orleans matadors fighting bulls and things like that. So it was a really, really, really big deal for something that happened for only about 50 years or so in New Orleans. It was a socially acceptable form of entertainment that found roots in New Orleans to the credit of our friend, the illustrious, the infamous, Jefe Jose Pepe Lula. Oh, oh. y'all remember him from I what do. episode two? He was two? a Spaniard and he loved picking fights. He loved picking some fights. Ooh, he, yeah. No, he was from our our first episode. Oh, he was the first our episode. Bebe. Yes, yes. Y'all should go back and listen to it because this man's life is a wild ride. And I actually, when I found this story, I went back and listened to it to make sure I wasn't cross-contaminating any of the stories like I tend to do. Uh, but so Jose, called Pepe, because his father was Jose the first, Jose Lula was born in the Canary Islands off the coast of Northern Africa, Southern Spain, that kind of region. And he began his adventures in life as being a cabin boy on a ship. He eventually became a world-renowned dueler uh, which is a lot of his legacy in New Orleans. He was a master swordsman, a tradesman, a bouncer at his own restaurant or saloon. And he was actually knighted by the King of Spain, which I think you guys brought up. Yep. So he was a knight for the King of Spain. And in his mid twenties, he started making a lot of money, transforming the Spanish style bullfights of New Orleans into all out animal combat. Uh, his ability to appeal to a really wide variety of ethnicities gave him a distinct advantage over his competing impresarios. He did that by advertising in both English and French, and he soon built, built a profitable but short-lived empire. 
And he was able to appeal to a wide variety of audiences because in New Orleans, just like in New York and Chicago and whatnot, there were several newspapers in several different languages. And he had the foresight to advertise his bullfights to both audiences. In French, you were advertising to not just the French, but the local Creoles, that combination of French and Spanish and African. And a lot of the romantic languages like Spanish and Italian those ethnicities would also read the French paper over the American or the English paper. And I bring that up because these two groups have very, very uh, different views on bullfighting. If you go back and look at any of the French advertisements, he uses words that's very specific to the kind of European Spanish style bullfighting where there's a lot of art and pageantry and ritual to it. So you would get things, you would say things like, um, or he would promise things like, piecing and bandoleras and cape work and all of the flourish that would come along with Spanish style bullfighting. Whoa! If you read the American advertisements, you would find different language. Instead of the really violent stuff, he would describe things as like the bulls to be pursued and fought in the mode usually followed in Havana and Spain. So a little less violent. Yes. Uh, he also would appeal to these groups in the language of how he sold his tickets. If he was talking to an English audience, he would talk about price and he would talk about the uppers and the lower decks. Think about like the, the Shakespearean theater style. If we're talking French and Spanish, he would actually sell his tickets based on where the hell the sun was. If you bought a ticket in the sun, you paid less than a ticket in the shade, especially if you were appealing to that more Spanish audience because Spain is hot. And if you sat in the sun all day, you were miserable. So the shadier your spot, the, uh, the more pricey your ticket. So he started to appeal to different audiences before they even walked through his arenas. Um, would y'all like to hear how he describes some of these? Y'all wanna hear some of the ads? Go, they are. Go, go. Heck yeah, wild. So there was one that I found that I thought was hilarious. Um, it was just an ad from the Daily Picayune, read from uh, 1840. It's a small one. It says, great fight between some French dogs, a bear, an ass, and a bull. Admittance, $1. Children, half price. Ooh, get them in there. Yeah. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> Um, it just so happens that the next day in this same paper, there was a little police blotter that read, we learned that a fellow went to witness the grand animal combat on Sunday last, when from his stupid appearance, the dogs of the arena set upon him. This man looked stupid to the dogs and they attacked him, apparently. Oh, oh so it was the right. man's fault. It was the man's fault. For Some dogs looking attacked. stupid. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Looking stupid. Man. If that was an actual, like, like a reason right. to get bit, shoot. But your kids get it at half price. Don't forget about that. Man, he looks stupid, but my kid got it in half price. Who looks stupid now? Right. No, 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 no. Look at his friend. He's really stupid. He's real stupid. <laughs> so uh, one ad that was a little more detailed advertised the bull ring at Algiers. It was directed by Don Bernardo Gonzalez, assisted by Don Antonio Estepa, Don Antonio Vidal, Don Juan Gonzalez, and Don Jose Chichon. So starting off by naming these really famous or influential matadors really caught the attention of a more European or Latin American audience. So did he, did he ship these guys in or are they already here? Oh, he would ship them in. That's cool. Yeah. Uh, the ad goes on to say, a company of amateurs pro proposes to the respectable public of this city to give a diversified bull fight with three bulls selected from among the latest kind in Canal Street, landing on Sunday the 19th. The company will guarantee that nothing will be omitted on, the part to, on their part to make the scene agreeable to the spectators. Previous to the commencement of the fight, a select band of music will play several choice pieces. Immediately thereafter, two bulls will be pursued and fought in the mode usually followed in Havana and Spain. The third bull will be received in the middle of the square by the Misters Gonzalez and Espa, Estepa, who will attack and fight in the most approved manner. 
The bullring will be open to the public at half past three o'clock and the spectacle will commence at five, weather permitting. Entrances to the boxes, 75 cents. Entrances to the, the doo-doo pit, 50 cents. Damn, that's not much of a like separation in price. Is that first come, first serve? <laughs> I, don't, I just like that it's called the doo-doo doo -doo pit. pit. Yeah. And then it concludes with the, the spectators are respectfully requested to not throw fruit or any other matter on the square during the fight or otherwise do anything that may have a tendency to disturb the pleasure of the meeting. You, heard, you noticed it said during the fight. Yes. Correct. God, why didn't that catch on here? I'd uh, love to go to the events and just throw fruit. Would you fruit. like Americans? It's the long and short of it. As much as in the city, the Creoles, the Spanish, a lot of people from the Iberian Peninsula uh, appreciated that Spanish style fight. Americans really found it kind of distasteful. Uh, and, and that's really the question. If these fights were so barbaric, why were they so widely advertised? Why were they so widely attended? And really it has to do with Papalegua. For one, he appealed to both groups, starting with advertising, but he also was the one that put the ball in motion to move the fights from the neighborhoods and city squares to Algiers Point, where the, the bulk of the story takes place. Algiers Point originally started off as two massive plantations. Because it was just across from uh, the French market in the center of the city, it was much easier to transport goods by ferry or by boat rather than try to haul things in from outside the city. So a man named John McDonough, who gave a lot of money, or, or maybe money, but definitely land to the public school system here, pretty controversial figure right now in New Orleans. Um, it was his plantation. It was also eventually a holding pen for slaves, for livestock, cargo, cargo that came in from overseas, and eventually the Acadian French people who became the Cajuns that live out in the bayous. So it didn't start off as a city center at all. It was purposefully set apart from the city to be land to grow or a holding pen for slaves or immigrants that you weren't quite sure about yet. So it started off with a, a kind of seedy reputation to begin with. Eventually, with things like the War of 1812, uh, magazine, uh, powder, gunpowder magazines were built there because it's higher than the French Quarter, so things were naturally going to stay drier. And it also became the center of industry, including things like slaughterhouses. And anytime you've got a lot of industry, slaughterhouses, artillery, you're not going to have the finest and fanciest homes built there. Instead, those places are, are populated by immigrant communities who work there. The land around industry is usually cheaper, so you're gonna build there. And that's kind of the origin of how Algiers became more neighborhood than plantation, than industry to neighborhood. It was immigrant communities moving in. With as many people that are fans of wrestling, mm -hmm. like the fake scripted stuff, <laughs> If if someone if I was watching the morning news and this advertisement came up and was like bullfighting this Friday Superdome, it'd like be the really monster hard. Truck rally. Yes, same <laughs> like same guy who does the same energy. energy. <laughs> I might go. People would be so mad because you can't even like people get more upset if uh, an animal dies sometimes than a person. So you can't imagine a bullfighting where it's actual bullfighting where actual bull will die in front of people today no nah, mm -hmm. that ain't gonna go. it wouldn't that happen fly. i mean they have rodeos they don't kill anyone but... well and that's a big difference at <laughs> yeah. this point in history too because this is the 1840s 50s when people are doing that west heavy westward expansion so you had the conquistador style fights that started in new that originally started the whole movement in new orleans because we are sister port cities to havana so we've got that more Spanish-style influence versus the Southwest, which is that more Mexican-style rodeo. Someone fact-check me on this. <laughs> I thought that the matadors sometimes kept a knife or like a little dagger in case they got, the bulls were like getting on, they could stab them Ooh, yeah. and get rid of them. But in my bullfighting, no dagger for the matadors. No. If you want the bull, you're going to get the bull. You're going to get, gonna the, get the horns. Yeah. <laughs> I've totally screwed that up. That's terrible. <laughs>
2021. <laughs> so, so it didn't last. <laughs> no, no, but we'll get to that. Okay. No, we're still in the the first throws. But it's 50 years. That's of, a good hard run. I'm, thinking, I'm yeah. trying to figure out some movie theaters don't even last 50 yeah. years. Like, where were these arenas at? This is amazing. Yeah. So originally, when it was in the city, the bullfights would take place at where the modern day Congo Square is, which started off as basically a meeting field for slaves just outside of the French Quarter uh, or Washington Square. And not only did people not want that kind of violence just in their everyday space, but at this point in history, you also have a lot of Americans coming in, building really nice houses, and they did not want that. So he kind of profited off that tension, building in New Orleans over the bullfights, moved it out to where the land was really cheap and just started making bank. Because once he ended up in Algiers, now you're in the heart of where the immigrant community is. So you're kind of taking the fight to the people, so to speak. Yeah. Yes. Yes. <laughs> you're not inciting anything. God, oh, shh. No, no. We don't take the fight to the people, but we take the fight. You do. Or you say something and then you go back into the White House and pretend like you didn't say it. <laughs> So he ended up moving the fights to what he called the arena at Algiers, which he built opposite Canal Street, where the first municipality steam ferry would every 10 minutes shuttle spectators across the river on Sundays for a special rate of just five cents. Anyone who has to take this still running ferry today knows for a fact it does not run every 10 minutes. And it's, uh, what is it now? It's like $2 to take the ferry? Yeah. yeah it's yeah. shut down half the time. Yeah. Yeah. But it's a lovely ride, you know? It really is. It's a lovely ride on the ferry. Anytime I have people in my cooking classes with kids, I'm like, oh, do the ferry. It'll eat up an hour of your day. It's $2 a person. It's fantastic. But to that end, having the ferry as transportation actually encouraged some of that family business because, ooh, it's the ferry and you made a day of it. It was also on Sundays in the afternoon. So people would really, they would get dressed up in their fancy clothes. They would go to church and then they would take the ferry across the river and go to the bullfights as a family. See, <laughs> right? God bless America. It's festive. What have we come to? I'm gonna take my family to a freaking bullfight one day. <laughs> so this was what, 150 years ago? <laughs> 170. He's going to Mexico tomorrow. Hey, history <laughs> history repeats itself. Oh, it does. And you're gonna go watch a bullfight tomorrow. Huh? <laughs> so another reason Pepe was so successful at this whole bullfighting business is because he was also really great at predicting the kind of trends and entertainment pre preferences that would occur as different waves of immigrants from nearly every corner of the globe rolled through the port of New Orleans. Uh, port cities kind of come with a reputation of vice to begin with. And then the port of New Orleans, being especially close in geography and economy to our port city, Sister Havana, provided a steady exchange of people and vices and customs. One of those vices being that kind of Spanish style bullfighting which is really just men fighting bulls with weapons. Do the, how often do the men die? Are we looking at? What's so I'm odds? saying they think they kept daggers with them so mm -hmm. they wouldn't. And so often it's like a it was zero to infinity. Number. Most of the bullfights were more than one person in yeah, the ring as like well. A, yeah. Which is kind of what the Americans found distasteful. Like, well, it's a, a bunch of men and weapons against one animal. That's yeah. how gauche, yeah. you know. Yeah, that, that's what I'm saying. One bull, my bull fighting, one bull, one man, or woman, whoever, mm -hmm. whatever you want to do. Just, it's you and the bull, and everyone's watching. Yeah. I like that. Yeah, all right. That's like a game show. Get the commercial together. <laughs> you and the bull, everyone's watching. Tonight on Fox. <laughs> Is Ken Jong hosting? Now, yes. Would I watch that on Fox? Yes. yes. All this other game show crap? No. no. Uh, I'll watch me some mass Singer, y'all. You haven't lived until you seen Terry Bradshaw sing in full deer regalia. This is so stressful. I gotta thank y'all for voting me off. This is, it's been so much fun. This kind of Spanish style 
fighting uh, caught on a whole lot with people who were recruited to work for the railroad and ports and things like that. Young Spanish, Portuguese, and Latin American men who would come in and at these fights, they would find community. They would find familiarity. And it was something that they were more than willing to spend their railroad or port dollars on because they're mostly single young men. Um, what I got to do, you know, like I'm ready to do something. It's that old world Iberian kind of feel to it as well. Unfortunately, Eastern Seaboard Americans think the New Yorks and the Connecticut's and things like that. Um, they saw it very differently. They much preferred the fights be, be between animals as it seemed a more equal playing field for them. So they were not objecting to gore or animal violence. They just didn't think it was fair that a bunch of men fought one animal. They would much rather five dogs fight the bull than five men fight the bull. And as they saw it, it the men fighting with tool or with weapons was seen as unfair, it was seen as weak. Whereas all the animals in one ring, you kind of let nature take its course. Again, this is all still animal fighting. Right, right. Right. But Pepe was able to kind of see that disconnect and combine the two types of fighting. So he would have dogs fighting bears that may have come from the city park bayou area. Oh, um, wow. Oh, yeah. <laughs> go, go find them a bear. Jeez. <laughs> he was uh, Discovery Channel before Discovery yes. Channel. Yes. Bear versus crocodile. Um. <laughs> So he basically, he took these two types of animal fighting. So there's, there's bullfighting, that Spanish style. And then the other one is called animal baiting, where you've got animals fighting each other. And that comes from England and the like. So of course the Americans would love it. Uh, and then he also threw in other types of entertainment. He would bring in acrobats and trick rodeo riders and musicians and things like that to keep the whole family engaged throughout the day. That way kids don't irritate dad or mom. Kids don't irritate mom, mom irritates dad, dad takes his gambling dollars home. So everyone was constantly engaged and entertained and whatnot. Even going as far as to doing things like tying fireworks to a bull at the end of the day, lighting them and letting the bull loose. <laughs> the man knew no bounds, right? Um, Davy Crockett actually wrote a short story about his time in New Orleans. It's called Crockett's Account of a Bullfight in New Orleans. And this is his account uh, that shows kind of the more American sensibility or view of what one of these bullfights would be like. And he, according to the story, was visiting, he called it the Half Moon City, Crescent City, yeah. Uh, the Half Moon City to sell a few hundred barrels of alligator oil. I don't know where one acquires a couple hundred barrels of alligator oil. That's How do you get alligator oil? They were probably just killing them back then. They were probably just like, <laughs> I'm, yeah. I'm guessing it's the fat. I don't, I might have to. Is I that how want... they make gator boots and stuff? You, oh, I Gator don't... oil? It would be like the rendered fat. Yeah, but that's then it should be thing, called yeah. grease, like it's bear grease. Oh, I don't. It might be a I, mixture. Davy Crockett, being a folklorist, had some artistic liberties, right. as you will see in said story. Didn't he wear a raccoon? A coonskin cap. Yeah, come on, you can't trust yeah. a guy who wears coonskin. Davy Crockett, king of the wild frontier. My papa would play that show for me when I was little. Nice. <laughs> So his stories are written in dialect, which I will not try to replicate because I can't make my mouth make these words the wrong way as much as he writ them. I'm also replacing a couple of words that would be considered insensitive okay. in this story. So he says, the folks in New Orleans are the oddest mixture of all creations and populations that can be found in or about any part of this here round shoulder globe. They're about half Yankee, half Monsoor, half Spanish, half Portuguese, half native, half African, and the t'other parts are a compound, a shark, and alligator. And their Sundays go to meetings, worship, 
and sports that are made up on a mixture of usages and pastimes of all these different heterogeneous nations with a few trimmings of their own. But their great boast and hol holiday glory is a bullfight and in the regular barbarous and human nasty fashion of old Spain. That war with men, with some men, with cat smellers on their upper lips, looking for all the world like half-singed painters. So he starts making fun of their mustaches, is what he's doing. They're called cat smellers? Cat smellers, he calls them. Men with cat smellers on their upper lips, looking for all the world like half-singed painters. So he starts off by digging a little at the men who are in these fights. Well, these he-human critters wrapped their crooked sticks, a great cowbell rung a few times, and out come a few yeller, cowardly-looking humor critters on horseback, dressed in green jackets and cloaks, and with them identical cat smellers on their upper lips, and great long poles in their hands with a spear or prong at the end of it. After throwing a tantalizing red cloak over the bull's face, they then made him with a sword with, while the bull stumbled, hooked, pitched, foamed at the mouth and nose, and roared and bellered worse than my old mammoth cow with the hollow horn. Directly long come the bull and his man together, rough and tumble, hook and stab, stab and hook, till one or both rolled over, kicking and bleeding and roaring. Now and then the poor horse would get a horn in his side, rearing up, kicking and yelling like a prairie horse. And all the time the men and women in the pews would clap their paws and shout and scream in all sorts of delighted, refined humanity. Yeah. So not only is he favoring the animals in this, but he's also looking at the pews, think like church and religion for these people, right? Thinking they're hooping and hollering at all this spectacle going on. And he goes on to say, the folks all pitied the men, but Rocket Ann, his daughter, Rocket Ann, Rocket Ann and I pitied the poor dumb beef for a more cowardly thing I never did see since my big ram butted the little one after he was down. Only to think a parcel of human critters called themselves men, taking swords and spears to flog a few bullets with fighting irons instead of attacking them in the clear naked state of nature, claws and teeth and toenails. The sight on it made me so courageous that I just laid my cravat and cap in Rocket Ann's lap, jumped into the ring and crowed like a rooster. So he was so overtaken with the roar of the crowd at the sight of this poor bull being poked and prodded and so put off by the fact that these men had weapons against the bull, he took off his hat, jumped in the ring. What he's known for crowed like a rooster right and then tells this story of how he personally tore three bulls apart with his own bare hands oh, i thought you were going to be like there's like the first instance of like the first streaker at a sporting event i mean he was halfway there what's a man without his cap oh. which just goes to show he bragged about killing three bulls but it was with his bare hands right and that really encapsulates the view of American culture on these things. It wasn't the fact that animals were being killed. It was, oh, you're using weapons for it. So they didn't understand the pageantry, the artistry, the tradition behind all of that flair and whatnot. And that's really what ended up doing old Pepe's business model in. Davy Crockett. Davy Crockett. <laughs> Someone. Yeah. I just want to, I mean, if every news story was written like that, I'd be... So engaged. <laughs> it was, oh, you know, and I stumbled over a lot of it because it's so, it, the... Yeah, the language the Jack was indicted today in the massive house. <laughs> where the, you know, just... so the word courageous, as he spelled it, is spelled in two words. C-O-U-R-A space G-E-R-O-U-S. Core? Courage. Courageous. Wow. Right. It was it was rough. So this was the end for Pepe and his bullfight. It was the and there were a lot of 
um, authentic news sources outside of the folklorist, Davy Crockett, that would report on these things and they would just be appalled. There was a New York newspaper that still wrote about it, still like reported it as news, but really focused on the savagery of the weapons and the men against animals, much more than all of these people going to the fight together. Of course, the Yankees, yeah. they just didn't understand. No, no. This is also post-1803 Louisiana Purchase, post-1812 war against the British. So really the floodgates to New Orleans were open, not just for the business that brought money along, but for tourists who were also looking for that kind of European experience without having to be on a boat for two months going overseas. So you had this tremendous influx of more American sensibilities, and they really did start to take over government as well. Starting around, um, 1850 or really the 1840s was the turn from a more Creole government that put more like French Napoleonic code and law to a more American system of things. And it was with that American turn that the bullfights became out of taste and out of favor. And by 1856, the city officially outlawed the sport of bullfighting. I know Pepe just had to move on to greener pastures. So from for him, specifically from about 1844 to 1856, this business model brought in a ton of money for him from about age 24 to age 40 or so. He was making a lot of money on them, their bullfights that in Algiers. That guy lived a life. He lived a, a big Dude, old I life. Mean, that, like you said, I think that was like the first live like National Geographic thing. Now yeah. it's all over. You, just, you can watch just predators in nature just take out any animal they want to. It's fantastic. Which is also pretty metal right there. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> nature kind of takes care of itself sometimes. <laughs> so yeah, that's that's one of the many, many adventures of all Pepe Lula. The bullfighting in Algiers. I'm sure people who read the New York paper up there were like, we're going to go. Bad news Some is good news. Oh, for you sure. Know, as far as marketing goes. For sure. There were people definitely like you who are just itching. Like, <laughs> I will. You know, the event's in March and it's January, so we, pre we better get going. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to take a little while with the horse and buggy to get there. So. <laughs> Things about, like, this were advertised ahead of time. You know, the, uh, the Kelly Blue Book that people use to find their car values started off as a, a tour guide and they would advertise in the Kelly Blue Books. Then you flip to the, the very back of those Blue Books and you would find advertisements for other um, vices in that you maybe would find at Storyville. Say the pleasures. So Kelly's Blue Book was red. It, well, I mean, so if you didn't mm. give what you wanted, it was blue. <laughs> Girl, you nasty. <laughs> <laughs> it's because I've been spending time with Pepe. He just does things to me. Pepe does things to you. Oh, nice. Tell us what he does. Good night. Get out of here. Blue. Uh, so no, that is my story of, of Pepe and Algiers. The other one I found that eventually led me to Pepe was the story of the Seven Sisters of Algiers, which is gonna take me some time yeah. because there's a lot of mention of these seven magical sisters, but there's not a lot of documentation. So I may have to actually trek over to Algiers. Find one of them. And look, the way they talk, they're, they're immortal. Got you. Were yeah. any of them on the back of the Kelly Blue Book? They weren't those kinds of ladies. Oh. <sighs> They were voodoo priests. Well, how are we going to get glitter on our faces? Yeah. And then what brought him back? The Masked Singer. Yes, of course. <laughs> How does everything? It's you, Game of Thrones. You, Masked Singer. Yeah. We can't get away. Everything's got to go he into these directions. He hasn't brought up Game of Thrones once. Yes. <laughs>
many, many movies. I did see a headline <laughs> yesterday that said that HBO lost half of their adult viewership because of the end of Game of Thrones. I, yeah, I see that, but I think they're going to gain it back when they come out. Yeah, I think two days after it comes out is when people will come back. Because no one is going to renew their HBO hoping it's good. They're going to wait for the reviews to come out and then renew their, or ask their dad for their login. That's how it goes. (laughs) That's just how it goes. (laughs) So, Knox has a story for us. All right, and I'm going to start off... uh, as Lynn was telling us, yeah, it was tough to find stories, but mm-hmm. I found a gem. And let's give a cheers to old Algeus. Woo! And the man who was known as Joseph Costello the Third. The Third. Uh, Joseph Costello was a man that really lived life, kind of like Pepe, uh, in the fact that you'll see uh, how he was revered in his obituary in the Times Picayune. Uh, as far as uh, what he was most likely doing on most days, if you wanted to find, you know, Joe Costello. Joe Lee. Joe Lee, <laughs> right, right? So Joe was born in Algiers, and his family ran the Costello's grocery store in Algiers. Oh, okay. Right? Um, so the dad and mom, uh, Joseph Costello, won right started the grocery store joseph costello jr then still ran the grocery store and then joseph costello jr died uh in about uh, 1965 and in 1965 also betsy struck so they had to move the grocery store in algiers but it's still in algiers betsy was a huge hurricane that destroyed a whole lot of stuff down here right so in 1967, they were making WRNO Rock of New Orleans. Yes. New Orleans weather clearing and cool today and tonight. Fair and cool tomorrow with a low tonight of 36. Tomorrow's high 58. Right now it's 51 and partly cloudy. 'll tell you about WRNO and the rock of New Orleans uh, because I don't know if you guys know there's two sides to WRNO so there's the FM side of WRNO which we've probably heard if you live in New Orleans or the surrounding area but there was also what's called a shortwave radio transmitter that WRNO is known for and that shortwave went across the world for about 20 years and it was the most powerful radio station in the world here in new orleans and the most popular if you put it all together as worldwide wrno world rock of new orleans was it wow wrno yes it is no longer wrno right they got talk show hosts and rush limbaugh and you know, those, it's, uh, just talk radio. it's just talk radio now. Uh, but really, it started off with the FM program in 1967. Uh, Joe Costello, he went to Martin Berman High School, graduated. The third, the third yes. Okay. Went to Martin Berman High School, graduated from there, then went to Loyola University, and then he went to Harvard Business School. And he came back from the Harvard Business School, and he worked at a radio station in DeRitter, Louisiana. And Joe Costello says that is the only job he ever had where he didn't work for himself. Right. So, Indorator at this radio station, he develops his, uh, you know, really hones his love for radio. He already been one of those ham radio kids, learn how to mess with a CB, learn how to mess with all those things. And so he built WRNO pretty much, really, from the ground up. Him and three friends, he said. So in 67, this inception starts in RNO hits and it's a hit. In no time, it's one of the top three radio stations in New Orleans because it's playing rock music and people at that time aren't enjoying the hell out of some rock music. He's a millionaire and he's starting grabbing up other stations, not just WRNO, the FM station, but he grabs two more FM stations and he has two more AM stations. So, so AM is different than shortwave. AM is different than shortwave. Okay. Shortwave is kind of what your 5G network's gonna be on soon. 
So that's how strong that signal is. It can be worldwide if you need it to be. So again, 5G might scare a lot of people. I ain't scared. Okay, so, all right. So he's already got these five radio stations that he's working with right now. And he says, all right, that's cool. Uh, I wanna get into some other media stuff. So in the 1970s, late 1970s, he starts making movie theaters. So uh, by 1978, He's got movie theaters all across the city, uh, 16 movie theaters in the New Orleans area. The first one he rebuilt was the Avalon in Algiers. All right, so we get to 1979 and he knows about this shortwave frequency that has not been used privately or bought privately in the United States since World War II. Wow. So knowing the power of this shortwave Billy Graham, the televangelist, has already put into the FCC, and he's like, yo, I wanna get on this short wave so I can spread my message. So that, I guess, request or submission to the FCC sat on the FCC's desk for years, and they never even got back to Billy Graham, and they, you know, he never got his station. But when Joe Costello III went, and he went, and he, FCC and he said, hey, we would love to have this shortwave radio and we want to put rock music, American rock music on the air for everybody to hear and everybody can know what America's like. And FCC, for some reason, granted Joe Costello his license for shortwave to be broadcast from the New Orleans area across the world and WRNO shortwave radio was created. This is WRNO Worldwide, where the Saints go marching in, New Orleans, Louisiana, on the air for the purpose of equipment adjustments. Our address for reception reports, WRNO Worldwide, New Orleans, 1982. Louisiana. I was making my entrance into the world in 82. Great things happened in 82. A lot of rock going on in 82. I guess I was conceived in 81, though. Tell us more. No, I don't know any more than that. Sorry. <laughs> I thought you had a story. No, I was just thinking that if I were the FCC and I had two um, proposals in front of me, one from Billy Graham and one from a rock station in New Orleans, I would not hesitate to grant the, the shortwave to the rock station. Uh, we'll get into how, you know, Joe Costello kind of licensed it out a few times to shortwave. And I'll let you know how shortwave works. Uh, it really doesn't, you can't turn on your radio and get shortwave. You really have to have a shortwave transistor radio or a radio that can uh, receive the shortwave. And really the shortwave broadcasts, when they are broadcast, it needs to be broadcast during a certain time. So you couldn't put it on WRNO shortwave and hear it all the time, every day. You would only hear it during the day, during a certain time, because they wanted their broadcast signal to reach as many people as it could. So that's what they were doing. And there were only th one of three shortwave radio stations in the entire United States. The other two were not even rock or pop music. They were just Christian, uh, American One news network stations that were out there. So Joe Costello, He's already a millionaire, making his money from those radio stations in the heyday of radio. Yeah. We're talking, you know, Elvis, Lay Beatles time. I mean, this guy's killing it, going through the 70s, disco, killing it. He's thrilled that now he can reach the masses. And so he's reached the masses, he's a millionaire, and he's finding out, you know, uh, this is great. I think I can really do this. And now the government's saying, well, hey, still in 82, wait, 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 we're really not sure about this. And so we're afraid you might broadcast something that's not okay with us. And then the Tylenol scare, I don't know what really this oh, is. I don't know what that 1982, is. 1982, yeah, yeah, yeah. some people tampered with some Tylenol. Don't take any Tylenol extra strength for the time being until you hear otherwise. Most of what's going on here is informational. Officials here say right. if anyone right. has taken a cyanide-laced Tylenol capsule, well, they, they probably wouldn't it. be able to make it to they the phone to call. Mm -hmm. So Joe Costello put an alert out to all Americans listening. 
that the Tylenol scare was happening, and then everybody in Congress who ever had a problem with Joe Costello and his radio waves sort of quelled out, and they were happy with everything. So I know that whole Tylenol story. I had no idea the call came from New Orleans. Yes. Oh my God, that's a wild, y'all, just look up the Tylenol scare. Not now, wait till the end of the episode. But that Tylenol scare is the reason we've got blister packaging and all that frustrating stuff. I, I still, you know, it's good stuff, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> so now we're in 1982 and things, honestly, guys, from, you guessed it, guys making money hand off uh, foot with his FM AM stations. But because shortwave, you really can't rate your audience, right? You have no idea who's listening. Uh, people write what's called QSLs or letters saying, I'm here, I listened, and they'll send it to you. So that's how they kind of did their ratings back in the day. And when he tried to sell the radio stations to different commercials and corporations, or sell commercials to different corporations, they would come back and say, what are your ratings? And he would say, well, I really don't have ratings. I have these things called QSLs, and it's the letters that people send me from across the globe telling me that they're listening. And so a lot of times it was not uh, commercially viable and I'm going to ask Joe Costello himself. There hadn't been a shortwave privately owned license granted in 40 years. But to answer your question, the commercial viability of shortwave radio is just not there. In our country, advertising is sold on the rating point system. And millions and millions of dollars in every city in the country are based on who has the share of audience. They do a small sample of 600 to 1,000 people and then project that out to represent a whole city or a whole metropolitan area. And then millions of dollars are placed on, on you, how you score in that sample. And uh, to approach a buyer in New York or, uh, or any other major advertising capital in the United States is, um, they, first off, they don't understand it. At this point, Jonathan, uh, it is not as economically viable as I thought it might be at the end of its, its first decade. So Joe Costello found out that shortwave radio, it just didn't necessarily sell. So what he did in the meantime was he leased to religious broadcasters and political talk show hosts to really make up, you know, mm -hmm. the money he would have lost. But he's still not losing money. Mm -hmm. He's still making gangbusters from his FM station, the rock of New Orleans, WRNO. Mm -hmm. uh, and you can imagine in the 80s. Now we're talking, wow. We're talking girls, girls, girls. We're talking Metallica, yes. Slayer, all kinds of stuff. The whole nine. Rock is never boring. Joe, you know, led a, that, a, a, a great life as you could imagine. Okay? So. He is now inducted into the Louisiana Broadcasters Hall of Fame, okay, in 1994. He's the inducted into the New Orleans Broadcasters Hall of Fame. Uh, in 1981, he was named the Louisiana Broadcaster of the Year. So he's got all these accolades, dudes living large, living life, and in 1997, Joe Mark Costello III, dies of complications from diabetes. To North America and a chapter in U.S. commercial shortwave broadcasting history closed last week when Joseph M. Costello III passed away at a hospital in New Orleans. At Ashner Foundation Hospital. He was 56 wow. years old. Mm -hmm. Very, very young. I wonder if he, did he have any cool, like, DJs with cool DJ names? Mike in the Morning, if you've ever heard of I that I do know dude, Mike in the Morning. Mike in the Morning was one of his guys. He actually was the voice of WRNL. So he wasn't just the, the boss. If somebody was sick or a DJ, they had to fill a spot. He would fill the DJ spot. Joe Costello was Yeah, because I didn't know if you had to be a, someone on a broadcast to win the broadcasting award or if you... Like, you're responsible for the broadcasting you still win the broadcast award. You have to be on... Like There's all sorts of categories. Yeah, yeah. I think, yeah, if you, to win the broadcaster, yeah, you have to be a talent, probably a voice. 
And he was, he was. In this article, or the obituary, I guess you can call it, from the Times-Picayune, it says, uh, this is what he said in one, um, in the article, he said, I didn't know it would be successful, but I knew I could always make money at something. It's easy. You just don't spend more money than you make. <laughs> and when he couldn't hire a disc jockey, he acted as the station's announcer. Even after Mr. Costello became a millionaire with five homes and a 50-foot yacht, his voice could be heard delivering the station's slogan, We're the Rock of New Orleans. All right? And it's also been said... In New Orleans, people say, let Atlanta keep her Falcons and Ted Turner. We have our Saints and Joseph Costello. R.I.P. Joe Costello. R.I.P. Handsome Joe. Handsome Joe. When you do what you love. Mm. Mm -hmm. And I'll show you Handsome Joe. And uh, I will allow, let's allow Cliff to describe <laughs> Handsome Joe. We haven't heard enough from you here tonight. Tonight, so handsome Joe, meet Cliff. Yes. Look at the old TV and the phone. Yeah, and for the kids in their twenties, listen to this. A letter is something that people wrote uh, with a pen, <laughs> and they put it in the mail. There's things called stamps uh, for postage. You actually can go to the post office, or you can actually put it in your mailbox at home and you can send it to people if you know their address so just a little background on that yes so this guy joe costello large and in charge yeah, I can see the he yes. looks like every one of my friend's grandpas hands down like that's like you asked me to describe a new orleans grandpa that's and he's got, yeah. the, I mean, he's got the glasses. He's got the gold watch. The gold watch, the button down. The aviator, tinted, Mostly reading glasses. Button down, Tommy Bahama. I am at, yeah. Balding, but it's hard to describe A record producer with is. a cigar. That's all you got to say, right? <laughs> <laughs> that was Joe. Yes. And everything was built as his family in Algiers uh, mortgaged their rental property for a $25,000 loan. Wow. So Joe Costello could make his millions. And end up with a yacht. Yeah. And a five yacht. homes, five homes. I mean, if I had a yacht, that could be my only home and I would be happy. That's right? very I true. don't need five homes. Yeah, That's my second home. Yeah. <laughs> That's my yacht. Just let me live on the water, baby. <laughs> Like, like the like a guy you know, he said like with a cigar like what do you got I got two seconds you know he's always busy halfway yeah. through this kind of phlegmy cough right so when Joe died all of his assets kind of went to his brother uh, and his brother was a DJ for a while did he not have kids wife? he did not have kids he did not have a wife uh, there was some sort of uh, I did Google and find a legal battle. Uh, with his mother and uh, his estate, not going to his mother like his mother wanted. But that's besides oh. the point. I'm sure that everybody in Joe Costello's family is fine. Uh, WRNO, you can still hear it in New Orleans, the FM station, the shortwave uh, radio uh, can possibly still be heard from every now and again because in 2001 it was bought by the Good News World Outreach. Oof. And you can imagine what kind of good news they're putting out for everybody to hear today. This is the gospel. So is that how WRNO became a talk radio station over rock? It's like the, the leasing of the shortwave to those types of programs? Well, it didn't turn into uh, from rock to talk until the 1990s. You know, my favorite thing. It's when I've got a rock station on and they have those like cutaway ads where like, we're gonna rock your socks off. And the next thing they play is Imagine Dragons. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, my, my socks are so rocked. <laughs> yeah, that, I'm like, that's not rock. Can you please play rock, please? Can you play, uh, get ready. Then you hear, I wanna stand. <laughs> you know, all those kids, you were just like, just 
describing letters to. They don't know what that song is. Yes, go look it up. Spotify. I know you kids use that. Spotify Savage Garden. They're not savage, but just listen. (laughs) Where do you think they got that name? Just like, let's think of the most insane word possible and then the most mundane word possible. Aren't they British? I think they are. Yeah. Anytime I cherry cola. That's all I know. I totally forgot about that song, but now I'm gonna Ooh, I want you, I don't know if I need you. Sa- real savage. Real savage. savage. Speaking of savage, this was a savage episode that this we had for you today. Yeah. I thought that uh New Year. The the yeah, New Year, a new us. We're gonna bring them to you. Uh, as much as we can, we will keep them coming. We Hopefully, Cliff like shows up next time. Yeah. Yeah. It's not like I give you a place to do it. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's fine. It's really cold tonight. I don't know if you got if if, if the wind is being picked up on the mics or not. It is uh, very chilly. We're also from Louisiana, yeah. so cold is is relative to us. Maybe sick tomorrow, but you know what? You know, I will say this, like everyone says in Louisiana, it's the humidity that gets you when it comes to the heat. It's the same thing with the cold. Yeah. We're between the Gulf and the river. There's always wind and wet in the air. And that hurts. It's, it's this cold now feels the same as if you're in New York and it's 10 degrees. Mm-hmm. It's just, uh, it's just miserable. And if you don't believe us, we don't care. Yeah. <laughs> Come, yeah. Uh, that's all you right. Come sit on the back porch. Seriously. This episode was recorded on Cliff's back porch. Yeah. Warmed by our friendship. And just so everyone knows, the people who tell the stories in this, the other people, so Lynn tells her story. We knew it was about Algiers, but we didn't know the story. So everything, all the reactions you hear are all natural. I don't no, think anyone believes that our reactions are ter- I mean, They're I'm, too rough. I'm just trying to tell you it's all natural reactions. We've never heard anything before, so we're just, it's not scripted. Only the stories are a little bit. I thought you liked natural friction. Mmm, friction. <laughs> Speaking of natural friction, we'll uh, see you next Tuesday. Definitely see you next Tuesday. See you next Tuesday. If you'd like to listen to more Braggish Podcasts, check us out on Apple Music, Spotify, Google Play, and Radio.com.